Hello, welcome to the Blue Grid podcast. This is your host, Major Ani Fedotova, a psychologist at Los Angeles Air Force Base. What makes us resilient? What is grit? Please join me as I set out to discover how we can become grittier. This podcast features current and former military leaders, mental health experts, elite athletes, veterans, special operators, superior performers, POWs, and others affiliated with the military who have overcome significant adversity. Each guest will discuss the unique methods and practices to help airmen and really all service members or anyone interested to build mental toughness and grit. The views expressed are those of the author or guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or the United States government. I'm here in the PA studio, Los Angeles Air Force Base, with Steven Machuga, who is an executive officer for StackUp. He is a former infantry and later intel officer who is also an airborne ranger. And I'll tell you a little bit about StackUp, and he'll have a chance to describe to us what that is. But StackUp was selected as one of five veteran-serving organization recipients of the CDC Veteran Suicide Prevention Evaluation Demonstration Project in January 2019 and received funding to conduct a formative evaluation of the program it offers to build connectedness in veterans through a shared passion for video games. It's fascinating. I'm excited to meet you. Thank you so much for coming out to LA Air Force Base, Stephen. Thank you very much, Major. Appreciate it. We always start with the military career. What can you tell us about being in the Army? You were first infantry officer, and then you switched your career paths and became an intel officer. Started off in ROTC, Purdue University. Ended up starting my first commission. I wanted to go intel to start, and my colonel had a sense of humor. He knew I was terrified of heights, so he sent me to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, to join the Airborne as an infantry officer. So. A little scary, a little not what I was expecting, but really excited and happy that it worked out the way it did because I got the uh, real deal Holyfield military experience being an infantry officer. My first duty station was at Fort Bragg, started in 99 and ended up taking a tour to Kosovo as the liaison to the Russian military in 2001. And then post 9-11 happened. I got back. I was stop lost in with everybody else. So I ended up going to the captain's course. And while I was there, one of the classmates did not want to deploy to Iraq. And I absolutely wanted to deploy to Iraq. So I switched jobs with him. I had a training detachment back in Maryland that I was supposed to go to. And he was set to go to 2nd Infantry Division up in Fort Lewis. So I switched billets with him. I wanted to get me a little war, you know, so to speak. I was a dumb kid and thought it would be fun. And yeah, three weeks into that, we crossed line of departure and I knew I had made a terrible mistake. Why so? Oh, well, it was a kinetic deployment. We were the first striker brigades in country. So whenever there was a hot issue, we were getting pushed all over the country, primarily the south of the country. At the time, the Sauterists had a pretty good stranglehold on the road network and they were cutting off fuel supplies to the north. So anytime there was any kind of ruckus, they would send the strikers in. Hmm. We were busy and I had a command element that was constantly trying to get into shootouts with people. So it was an interesting time in my life. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I served. I'm glad I deployed. Glad I made it back in one piece. Yeah. By the time, did you already have your airborne ranger badge? Yeah. 
Loved Ranger School so much, I went twice. Really? Yeah, well, it's I, <laughs> I recycled second phase. I got okay. pneumonia in the mountains, so I had to go back. But I was one of two non-tabbed infantry platoon leaders who did not have their Ranger tab at my battalion. So I made for a very rough year before I went back. I knew right away they were going to have to pull me off that mountain the second time. I could not go back a second time. Got out of the service. My last deployment ended up in Iraq. I ended up doing 13 months. First six were pretty kinetic, busy, going outside the wire, patrol, you know, convoys, things like that. And then the last six were up in Kurdish-controlled Mosul before we started losing control up there. And it was like being on vacation in comparison. Never left mm -hmm. the wire, the occasional mortar round, but otherwise it was giving me a lot of time to not do much. So worked out a lot, chow, relaxed. It was good. I liked it. Mm -hmm. So your deployments are vastly different from, yes, from all the way from Kosovo to... To the last Leaving one. the line to going and working the brigade talk was just, yeah, it was something else. So, mm -hmm. but yeah. And why did you decide to leave the military service? Because I happened to catch a glimpse of the brigade calendar, like training calendar, as we were getting ready to leave. And it would turn out like nine months later, they were getting ready to do workup to take over for the unit that was taking over for us at the time. Like 101st mm -hmm. was coming to do relief in place. And yeah, I saw that and I was like, I'm not coming back here again. <laughs> 13 months is more than enough in that place. Mm -hmm. Then you leave the military and then what happens to your career? Flound around a little bit as I'm getting transferred out and then get some work in D.C. as a government contractor. I work at some of the various, you know, Northrop Grumman's, SAICs, Lockheed Martins, doing contract or a lot of intel work. Like I worked at the Pentagon doing Iraq Intel cell. I spent some time at FBI doing criminal analysis, which was fun. So working in DC, government contractor, making pretty good money, but was just not satisfying. I mean, I know it sounds weird. You know, everybody thinks that money makes you happy. And I happened upon an organization. There's a long story. We don't have enough time for it. But bottom line is life did not go the way I was planning on it. No, to. tell us. Well, the whole FBI side of things. I was planning on going to be an agent. Like that's, as an infantry guy, that was kind of like the obvious next step. You get out, you just go get your gun and shield and go do that. And then you had UAMI background, that? so right. it was perfect. It, perfect, yeah. obviously. And had a date for Quantico all set and literally just randomly got a thin postcard in the mail saying, hey, your date's been canceled. We're scaling back, but you're free to apply sometime in the next like three years. And it's like, okay, that was the plan. Like that was what I was doing in my life. And within a week of that postcard showing up, I had found a group of online gamers called Sarcastic Gamer back in the day. And it was a small little ragtag outfit of video gamers that their leader was associated with Children's Miracle Network. And they created a group called Extra Life, which is a charity that helps sick kids with gaming. And I didn't really have the same connection I didn't have any children, didn't know any sick kids, didn't have that connection. But when I went off to go do my own thing, eventually I realized that nobody was taking care of the veterans inside of the game space. In the games industry, there's just nobody out there doing anything. At the time. At the time. Yeah. The thing that really sparked my original charity, my gunner in Iraq, got out of the service back in 2006 and then within like two years went back in because, you know, a lot of guys kind of flounder around for a little bit and then they miss that camaraderie. They miss that B 
being in the military, in essence. And so a lot of them go back in. Well, he went back in and it was immediately sent overseas to Afghanistan. So he got over there and he knew I had some connections with this group of gamers. And he said, hey, we're bored out of our minds over here. Do you think you could talk to Microsoft and have them send us an Xbox? Which sounds funny, but... So I reached out to a lot of my contacts in the industry and the response was pretty overwhelming. Activision, Microsoft, a lot of big name companies stood up and sent us, me, just Joe Smo, you know, civilian, a whole bunch of pallets of games and gear and more than we could logically send to one unit. And when you say we, was it, was it, was it just somebody me. else? Yeah, it was just me at the time. Okay. Everything was out of pocket at the time. So everything that didn't get filled that the guys wanted, because they were like, here's what we'd like. Anything else I just paid for out of pocket. These are the guys who are downrange. Mm -hmm. They wanted to play games and they would make requests. Well, that was this first box that went out was very much, that was the thing that started it because I boxed up a bunch of the stuff that came on pallets, you know, more than we could fit into one box. We sent it overseas. I got a bunch of pictures back. It was really awesome to see. Jeff, who is my gunner, thrilled, happy, really excited. And then of course that turned into, you know, Joe sniffs out free stuff. Like, hey, how can I get that? Mm -hmm. And we had, I keep saying we, it's the regal we, it's my organization. <laughs> At the time, it was me. But yeah, it was one of those things where I had more stuff than I knew what to do with. We had people asking for requests. And so it kind of started the thought process like, hey, this could be a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and I really enjoyed working with Extra Life, but I just didn't have that connection. So when I started helping veterans out, it was like, okay, there's something here. And I thought for sure after I started this that there would be a bunch of competition. Like I figured by now, it's been nine years, and I thought for sure somebody would be out there, like we'd have some solid competition or other charity organizations looking to help the military, and there just isn't in the game space, which is still shocking. But I mean, I'm not complaining, trust me. But In the time from that first parcel that you sent overseas to today, what happened with the company? It's been a long ride. So my first organization, which I started, I ran that for five years. And then I didn't have the business acumen I thought I needed to take it to the next level. So I brought a businessman into the conversation. And we made a pretty good team, very yin and yang. Like I was the soft, easy spoken, friends with everybody. And he was kind of the guy who would kind of kick his feet up on your desk and tell you how it was. Before we go any further, mm -hmm. when you say you needed to bring businessmen, what was the purpose of doing that? Kind of what was your vision? He came to me and he said, hey, I like what you're doing. I think this is awesome. I'd like to help out. Okay. And then what was your vision together, his vision? Turns out his vision was to remove me, but <laughs> it was like, let's see what this guy can do. I mean, he has a pretty good track record and LinkedIn and he had a lot of connections and, you know, big fan of the military. And I was very trusting. Like I just said, yeah, sure. And as a charity guy, you have to take anybody looking to help out. Like it's, it's everybody and anybody. This guy was willing to volunteer his time to help out. I thought it would be a good mix. Now the two of you decide to build something bigger. At least that was his vision. Yeah. So because I was so trusting and naive, when he came to me and said, hey, I need you to give me executive power over this organization, I was like, that's fine. I trust you. We're friends. No reason not to. You're the business guy. If this is what you need to do, if you need command authority 
when you go into these meetings with Fortune 500 companies and you put your finger in their chest and say, I'm in charge, I'm the final decision maker, yeah, that's fine. Do what you need to do. You know, Again, I trusted him, thought it was the right thing to do at the time. Turns out not so much. So over the next 18 months, it was a slow, gradual turning up of the heat to have me removed from the organization. Putting me in the corner, just not having me a part of conversations. He brought another person in over top of me. It was to the point where I wasn't even talking to him anymore. But fortunately, he did it in such a ham-fisted way that I could see which way the wind was blowing. And so I pretty much set the stage. There was a series of events where I was forced to sit down in front of some legal paperwork and sign things. And up to this point, it had been very fluid. There's no paperwork. Now it's like, okay, you are signing this. And I knew he was trying to get rid of me. The last straw was they sent, it was in October, like mid-October timeframe. I got an email saying, hey, we're tightening up our shot group as far as putting out employment paperwork. And you're an employee of this company. We need you to sign this document. It was a contract for my employment. Fine. No problem there. But it was so weighted against me. There was a non-compete, which means it was specifically written to say, if for whatever reason you leave this company or are fired, you will not be able to work in the games space. You will not be able to work in the charity space for a year. And that was really the, well, I can't sign this paperwork because I know he's gearing up to fire me. And even in the employment paperwork, it was like, all right, we're going to have quarterly reviews now and all this like, yeah, he's going to get rid of me. Fortunately, because he was so ham-fisted in that, I saw it coming and was able to start building. I went to some of our investors, some of the big donors, and I said to them, hey, look, this is happening. I screwed up, but this is happening. He took advantage of the situation, but I'm not going to take this lying down. And if you say that you believe in me and that you're going to follow me as the guy who brought this all together, and it had been five years at this point, like I was the kind of heart and soul of the organization. And I said to them, like, hey, if you believe in me, if you will come with me to this new organization, I'm going to start over from scratch, then I will do it. And if you say that's a bad idea, then I will walk away. And everybody said, hey, we believe in you. You're the right man for the job. You brought us this far. You know, we don't like that other guy anyway. Let's do it. And in terms of your production or revenues, what were you generating at that point? $300,000, $400,000 in cash donations a year at that point. Like, not a lot. But if you could have told 2010 me that we were, you know, me saying, oh, we're only 300, 400K or something like that is not a lot. Like that was back when we were making 20K a year. So we've come a long way from there. But yeah, so November 11th, 2015 was the launch of StackUp, which is my new game plus of charity building from the other organization. And yeah, we're going into year four, almost five now. And it's going swimmingly. We're Obviously, you have the CDC information in front of you, the Center for Disease Control. We now have a grand vision. We now have bigger plans than I ever had over the other organization. And the other organizations just kind of fizzled out because turns out the military taught me a lot about being a good leader. And most of the volunteers who were at the other organization either came with me immediately when we launched the, when I made the announcement that I had been terminated or over time, slowly work their way over to the new organization. And a charity is only as good, really, as its volunteers. I can only do so much. The command staff can only do so much. It was a pretty quick and decisive victory for the most part. And 
we've come out on top at this point. You never imagined that would be what it is today. And no. what, what is it today? What is the vision? What do you guys do? Now, all of our programs are all focused around supporting veterans and ending this veteran suicide epidemic, which is getting out of hand. It's getting ridiculous and nobody can put their finger on it. What all of our programs, which we have four programs with Stack Up, we have our supply crates, no surprise there. That's boxes of games and gear that we send all over the world, both to combat deployments, to guys and gals doing peacekeeping operations, recovering in military hospitals, veteran service organizations. Our air assault program, where we take disabled or deserving veterans to various gaming events and studio tours and things like that. People who have never seen a gaming convention before, like an E3 or a Comic-Con, we take them from middle America and we bring them out there and let them know like, hey, you're not alone in any of this. This is a huge community of people out there that you can find your niche out there. We have our Stacks program, which is our volunteer efforts. We've got about 30 or 40 teams across the country, just little small fire teams of folks doing good stuff in their local areas. Like what? Helping out veteran service organizations. We have, I remember Pittsburgh, they do a thing called Stand Down every year where they feed and clothe homeless veterans. Our Sonoma Stack here in California does a lot of stuff with their vet center. They have like game nights at the vet center. They bring in veterans to come in and just kind of interact. It gets them out from their houses Mm -hmm. and interacting with one another and not even just online, but playing games locally. And it helps out a lot. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, as you were talking about the, the Center for Disease Control Connection, our Stack Up Overwatch program, which the acronym is STOP. And that kind of grew up organically. As I said, we have a pretty dense volunteer base and they would get in our Discord channel, which is a chat client for gamers. And you get a bunch of them together and veterans have a pretty dark sense of humor a lot of times, pretty much to deal with their issues. And Every now and again, you would get somebody who would say something extremely like, oh, I'm going to kill myself, or I'm thinking about taking my life, or you know, or not even it, joking around. Has it ever yeah, happened? Yeah, it was suicidal or homicidal ideation. It, but it's actually happened. People said that. Right. Oh, yes. And that was the thing. So somebody would notify me like, hey, this kid, we knew I need to watch this person. And so maybe for those who are not involved in gaming community and not quite familiar with how that works, can you explain how people get together? Sure. There's a lot of multiplayer games out there. You've got your Fortnites and Minecrafts and things like that where folks, gamers will get together and do things together and they will use voice comms instead of typing in chat clients. They'll get together and they'll talk and they'll have things like a giant phone call with a bunch of people in it. It gives them the opportunity to use voice. It's a lot faster than typing. You would have folks getting in voice chat or typing in chat and they would say some pretty dark things. And We realized that if we just let it go and just, oh, it's veterans being veterans, somebody would die. We would lose somebody and we would have done nothing to stop it. So we put together a very informal kind of monitoring system in place in our Discord. We had a couple of people just keeping an eye on things. And over time, over the last year, we built it out to an entire new program called Overwatch, where we have psych armor trained volunteers in our Discord 24-7 ready to go if a veteran needs help. And if somebody feels like they are in a place where they just, it's three in the morning and their VA prescribed meds have them up and they want to jump in a game or they want to talk to somebody, then we're there. Mm -hmm. And if you would have told me back in the day that that's where all this was leading, I I wouldn't have believed you, but 
all of our programs are about mental health and mental well-being, but this is the first program where we're actively helping veterans as far as like we've done health and welfare checks on people. We've removed weapons from people's houses. It's knowing that we might at this point have actually saved someone's life through this silly little gaming program of ours. It's exciting. And the fact that these organizations are getting out there and recognizing this, as we were talking about the CDC program, like one of five, we're only five out of several hundred organizations chosen for this program. And they are in love with us because we're doing something that just doesn't exist out there. The phrasing that they were using was, you're going to where people already are and you're providing healthcare services in a way that the veterans doesn't even realize that they're getting help. Like just being able to talk about it or just playing a game. And I like using the analogy, if you've ever seen the show Law and Order, like Special Victims Unit, anytime the detectives are interrogating or talking with a small child, they put them in front of a coloring book, and then they ask them questions. And the idea was, <laughs> I realized this a couple years ago when I was interviewed, I did a video interview and they had me in front of a video game and I was playing it. And the answers that I was giving to the interview were pretty hysterical because it was not my usual guarded PR-based responses. Mm -hmm. It was, I'm playing Battlefield 4 right now and I'm pissed off because I just got killed and I was saying things that I wouldn't normally say. Mm -hmm. So it made me realize that gaming acts as this weird candy coating shell over a bitter pill that a lot of veterans don't want to deal with. They don't want to talk about their feelings. They don't want to talk about what happened. They just want to play a game. And it turns out when you build a relationship with somebody through something neutral, using a shared language of gaming, because gamers have their own language based on each video game. It changes from an Apex Legends to a Call of Duty to a Battlefield. Everything has their own language. A civilian doesn't know what it's like to be a veteran, but they do know that, you know, an Apex, you know, where are we dropping is a huge thing in a lot of these multiplayer battle arena games. And it's just having that ability to empathize and be able to talk to them in a language in a way that they feel comfortable and then be able to have them open up to us. It's really exciting. And I look forward to continuing to work with the CDC to build out this program. Mm -hmm. You provided the metaphor from the law and order when the child is drawing something and maybe they feel safe and comforted in that activity, much like you would feel when you're gaming and when other people are gaming. So when then they feel that sense of calm or comfort and they start being themselves, maybe less defended, start being themselves they may say things that they normally wouldn't say and communicate it to others. And if that's alerting enough, then one of your trained mental health providers would engage with them in some way. Right. Am I understanding that? Yeah. Our job is to de-escalate the situation okay. and then make sure that the individuals, we are able to provide them with the professional services that they need. We're not at a professional level by any length of the imagination. But our job is to just act as a, a buffer to give somebody a couple more hours of relief or something like that until their psychologist wakes up in the morning or until we are able to get them the help that they need. So we give them the resources they need to get through the night, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, that's where we're at right now. How did you come up with that idea? Again, just the idea of having a group of veterans together, all talking yang on one another, and veterans have a very dark sense of humor. And we were hearing more and more people talking about 
suicidal ideation or homicidal ideation via chat Mm. to the point where we knew we needed to do something. Mm Because if we weren't, one of these guys was going to go do something, we would have done nothing about it. Mm -hmm. Not like we were responsible for them, but at the same time, I felt like we should. Because as I said, a charity is only as good as its volunteers and employees. And those folks in our discord are part of our family now. And that's what makes us so successful as an organization that we look out for one another. So when somebody was verbally drowning, I was like, what can we do to help out? And it kind of grew out from there. But it was very organic. It wasn't planned. We certainly wasn't planning on doing anything crazy like this. Which I think goes back to what the CDC told you. You found the niche where people already are, what people already do, and you just found your place in what's already been built or what's already been existing. And gaming is just turning into this megalith. It's bigger than Hollywood. It's bigger than the music industry. It's bigger than everything at this point. It's a $100 billion industry right now and only growing larger and larger every year with things like esports. And these kids that are getting raised on iPads with Minecraft and Fortnite on it are now the next generation of soldiers who are putting on the uniform. And gaming is not this thing to be shunned or laughed at. Now everybody games. Like even moms and dads on their iPhones with Candy Crush is the joke. But everybody games in some way, mostly. Yeah. But yeah, my goofy little hobby has turned into quite a uh, powerful mover and shaker globally. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting. Can you talk a bit about your views on benefits and disadvantages or drawbacks of being a gamer or being sure. being involved with gaming. I mean, right now we're in a time where gaming is being vilified again as being the root of all evil, gun violence, all that. And anybody that's done any time gaming, they definitely like, yes, gaming can have that effect on people where it can draw out an unexpected aggression from somebody. But and what uh, do you mean by that? Can you elaborate? Um, I was playing, for instance, I'm a pretty calm, laid back guy. Like not a lot gets to me. There is a certain game called Sekiro. Sekiro Shadows Die twice, and it is an extremely frustrating game. And I played all the way through that from front to back and played it on stream. And the amount of yelling and screaming and anger on camera that I did while I was playing that game, that's not me, but it brought out a lot of rage. So I can understand, given the right circumstances, gaming could be you know, seen as something to, this is outside of my purview, but... And I don't honestly believe that gaming causes violence, but it definitely can be utilized to add to already their aggression. So if somebody was already agitated right, and they're right. playing a the game that's more agitating. Yeah, and that's the it thing. It doesn't is, help. No, it does not. And the argument of people playing games too much, like, and definitely any gamer worth their salt has sat down in some marathon gaming sessions and not even realized, like, oh, that was eight hours. Like, or that was six hours. Oh, the sun's coming up. Oh, crap. Mm-hmm. I need to go to work. There's negatives to anything, everything in moderation, right? Mm-hmm. You can overdo any activity. I could be sitting in the library for 12 hours and reading. You know, it's like that's some people will do that. Again, everything in moderation. It's just easy to vilify that right now because it's such a hot button topic right now, given the, I think it's the World Health Organization talking about gaming addiction being a disease. And any gamer just finds it laughable. But at the same time, we're a little close to the conversation too. It's easy for us to laugh it off because they're talking about us. Mm-hmm. And what are the benefits? Relaxation, relief, primarily just unplugging. It's that feeling where you sit down at a three-hour movie and you 
don't realize it's a three-hour movie and you, you get up and you're like, wow, where did that time go? For me, definitely, it helps me unplug from my day. Mm-hmm. And it's enjoyable, you know, great stories. Just like it's, if you think about watching a movie or something like that, and I like using that as an analogy, just an active movie. So there's a lot, you know, it's wonderful stories and the ability to connect with other people, shared dialogue with through multiplayer games or, as I said earlier, having that connective tissue through shared languages. You know, again, getting a Destiny raid together and having a bunch of guys and gals together playing the same thing and that feeling of accomplishment when you finish a mission or a raid and get a piece of kit that you've been looking for. I mean, there's a variety of benefits. And then the communication is a huge piece of it because a lot of guys who get out of the military they're in such a hurry. Military is a great way to find out what you don't want to do with the next 20 years of your life. And a lot of guys and gals that I interacted with in the military, they had all kinds of plans for what they were going to do when they got out. But a lot of them did not realize, myself included, how cold and uncaring the civilian sector can be. Because whereas the military forces you to be somewhere and tells you what to eat, what to wear, when to be where, that structure goes away. And you're just kind of out there flapping. And show up in an office or show up at a garage or something like that, you might make some friends, but it's not that same being on a football team. We're all in this together, going through these difficult physical challenges together that you really only get through the military. And I always use the analogy of, you know, trying to explain to a civilian what it's like to be in prison for a year, like being deployed. Again, military, then we have our own conversation, our own language that we understand that you can try to explain to someone, but they're never going to get it because they've never experienced it mm-hmm. firsthand. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty much the, the big benefits that I can think of off the top of my head. Connecting guys and gals in a way that they feel comfortable, they're relaxed, they're enjoying themselves or having fun and talking with one another. And that's a big piece of what they're finding is, it goes back to the therapy side of things, is just talking with somebody who understands you. Who can relate to you, who can listen to you, who enjoys the same thing that you right. do, and therefore is relatable. We're not forcing people to go to the VA. They're in their homes, they're in their little setup, they're in their lazy boy, and they've got their headset on, and they're in, enjoying something. They feel comfortable, and we're providing a benefit for them that they don't even realize that it's happening. Mm-hmm. How big would you say your community right now? Not your volunteers, mm-hmm. but people sure. who engage in gaming. Oh, people that engage in gaming? Who benefited from you for the last, you started in 2000. Oh, wow. What, nine? The original organization started November 2010. And then five years later, I went New Game Plus, as gamers will understand. So I started over again. But I kept all my experiences and all my friends and allies. So almost 10 years now. But as far as numbers go, it's hard to figure out what that actual numeric basis primarily because the requests that we would get we have a block in there saying hey how many people do you think this will actually support like if we send you an xbox is this to a platoon is this to a company is this like company day area so we get kind of a rough estimate as far as how many people we're helping there and then through overwatch that's a little easier to keep tabs on as far as individuals who are coming in and going out but that's not a big number right now so i'd say less than 100 as far as through the last year. That's a big number. Well, and you don't know how much you're helping them. There's no guarantee it's somebody who comes in and just wants to talk for a while or somebody who is at risk and this is, you know, threatening to do something. Mm -hmm. But I'd say 
tens of thousands at this point. I mean, every year we do kind of an estimate and it's usually about 20,000 people by the time we're all done for the course of a year. Oh. You went from being a veteran who deployed and struggled with some trauma. And I know this because we chatted just mm -hmm. a couple of weeks back to generating half a million a year in revenues and mm -hmm. helping 20,000, at least 20,000 people each year. What is that like? What is that journey like for you? What is that transition like for you? It's literally a journey. It never feels like it's done. Like I'm literally sitting here and thinking about all the emails I missed while I was out last week. So I'm just kind of like, I, <laughs> want, I almost wanted to cancel today because I, I don't have time for this. Mm -hmm. There's just never enough hours in the day. Yeah. It feels amazing, first off, like because every year, based on what it is we do, the funding is never really guaranteed. It's all on 5 and $10 donations from people helping us out out there. We're just walking a tightrope every year. And every December, we have our final review with the board of directors, and we kind of look at our final numbers, and we go, oh, we did it again. Wow, how did that happen? And mm -hmm. then January, it's like, okay, here we go again. How are we going to do this? And it's always just feels like the end of It's a Wonderful Life. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie, but it's ancient at this point. But there's a scene where a bank is not able to pay everybody. There's a run on the bank. They don't have enough money to cover everybody. So the entire town comes together and brings in enough money and they save the day, in essence. It always feels like that because, bottom line, perfect example, a pretty major streamer came forward a couple months back named Ninja. And he was just recently on Celebrity Family Feud for us. That's a one-time thing. We can't recreate that every year. We don't know how it happened. That was a nice $25,000 donation. Wow. That's awesome. It's hard to look at a board of directors and go, this is what happened this year. We can't recreate that again. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of like random one-off events that occur. And so it's just a matter of being out there, being visible, having our name out there, having people know who we are and what we're doing. I've been doing this nine years now, and I figured by now somebody would have stepped in to try to be a competitor of some kind, and no one has even thought about it, which is nice. I think that's the only thing that we have the market share. It makes it a lot easier. There's like a dozen kids' charities or sick kids' charities out there in the gaming space, but we're the only ones really putting out some work for veterans. And so it makes it pretty easy for when somebody says, hey, I want to help the troops, we're really the only folks out there doing it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of random donations, and it's me, emails, phone calls, conference calls, things like just all day, every day, mm -hmm. and just trying to get the word out there, trying to work with partners, and trying to get them to follow through on promises that they make earlier in the year. The reason that I asked that question about your journey from being in a really bad place to where you today mm. is because one of the key ingredients to grit, to resilience, is giving back to your community, giving back others, helping others. And you are not only helping others by having now that you created this community, volunteers and community of gamers, but also now you're kind of formalizing that in creating this suicide intervention program. Do you feel like having this purpose and meaning in work that you're doing is part of your healing? I think it's running 100 miles an hour. You're so preoccupied in that. My work-life balance is garbage. Mm -hmm. 
I'm really good at my job and I'm really good at what I'm doing and I'm able to keep stack up running and everything's great and my team does a great job, great at coordinating with them, but it gets very easy to focus so hard on that and a lot of basic like, hey, I should go to the gym. I should take care of myself. Don't just eat a hot pocket and drink another Coke and keep working. You probably should take care of yourself. I love that you say that on the Grit podcast. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> Because you're honest. No, that's what it is. Why would I not be honest? <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. Okay, sure. I mean, yeah. One of the things that we have found as we've been growing up in this suicide prevention team era of Stack Up is I've been doing a lot of reading and trying to figure out the 22 a day metric that has been getting bounced around a lot. And they're finding that it's a lot of Vietnam era vets that are killing themselves. And the popular assumption there is these guys are working jobs and they retire and then they go back to wherever they live and they have absolutely nothing to do. They fish, they hunt, they do whatever. They travel, they get in their RV and travel across the country. And then there's just a lot of downtime where they have a lot of time to think about what they did while they were overseas or what they did while they were back home or survivor's guilt or any number of things. There's just a lot of time. And you're talking about me dealing with my situation. I think because I'm constantly working, I don't have time to really sit and think about it. And when I do have time off, I'm not just staring at the ceiling, I'm playing video games. And I'm playing video games with other people who understand what I've gone through and I understand what they've gone through. And together, we're able to kind of game our way through it without really talking about it. Mm -hmm. Or if we do feel like talking about it, we were just in Seattle for Penny Arcade Expo, which is a big gaming convention. And a bunch of guys were sitting around at an Irish pub up there and we were all, you know, doing the veteran thing, drinking and telling war stories. And it was like, it's, it feels a little less dramatic when you're sitting in your house playing video games, when you're telling stories and it always devolves into war stories, right? Everybody always tell, oh, there I was in the jungle. So. <laughs> okay. For you, you'll notice that gave you a sense of purpose and value. Although, do you ever wonder or fear that is potentially an avoidance mechanism? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's 100%. And yes, and then that's the other side of the question is like, hey, is this literally just putting this on pause? Mm -hmm. It's forcing you to not think about it. And yeah, absolutely. That's a lot of what it is. It's giving you enough time to get your mind right, or it's just giving your brain a rest. And a lot of guys and gals, they get done with work, they watch some Netflix and they zone out and then they just lay in bed and stare at the ceiling. And it gets very easy to start letting your brain run away with things. So having things that can keep your mind engaged and communities and able to talk to other people who are also going through that, it's invaluable. And it may honestly be just kicking the can down the road, but until something comes out better, that's all we got right now. And that's, again, why the Center for Disease Control is so excited, because it's giving them another tool for them to utilize mm -hmm. to help guys where they don't feel that they're being helped. We're not sending them to the VA to sit on a couch and specifically, hey, we're going to talk about this thing you definitely do not want to talk about, but we got to talk about it. Did you talk about your trauma? Yep, absolutely did all that. When I was doing gaming, that was the preferred method of therapy. But yeah, I have a therapist that I go to pretty regularly and talk about things. 
a little different now. It's not the same conversation I used to have back when I was in. It wasn't PTSD. It was just straight up, you're being a coward, especially as an officer or any kind of leadership position. Like You can't be shown as being weak. You just couldn't back then. I don't know what it looks like nowadays, but I remember sitting with my girlfriend at the time in an off-duty medical post and just in tears because like, if somebody finds out that I'm here, my career's over because I knew I had a pretty promising, like, you know, ranger tabbed intel officer, you know, two tours overseas. Crazy to think about, but I'd be looking at 06 right now, which is insane. I'd probably be looking at first pass for that, which is still makes me laugh. But back then I wouldn't have gotten a command. I would have been shuffled away from combatant commands. I would have been kind of put over in the corner and, oh, he's damaged. He's a coward. Any number of things. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, the Air Force is doing their stand down here. I don't know when the date is, but mm-hmm. what is that going to do? Probably not much. If nothing else, you're just going to come back to an inbox full of emails. The fact that it's being recognized and that they're trying to do something. Mm-hmm. In the time when you found yourself in the space of, I need to get help. I need to talk to somebody because I don't know what else to do with myself. Yet there is a threat of my career being jeopardized. Did you end up seeking mental health then? Mm, oh yeah. Well, eventually, yeah. Eventually. I mean, I white knuckled it for a while there through gaming and eventually just had to go get help because it was becoming too much of an issue. I couldn't just do it on my own. And it turns out talking about things helps out dramatically. I mean, they say that Negative thoughts are a poison and talking is the antidote. And you find somebody to talk to who you can trust and somebody who's been there. I found somebody when I got back home who had done some tours overseas at the VA and he got it and it helped dramatically. It was a little weird, you know, we were doing the infantry thing back and forth and it's kind of weird to have a, you know, you think of your typical therapist, you know, white beard and a Freudian pencil with sketchbook kind of thing. And it's like, it's just this infantry grunt sitting across from me. We're telling war stories to each other. But I think that's what I needed. You know, just somebody to, did you ever go up to, you know, Tajiovs down in Baji, you know, Mahmoudia and all this. It's weird how you just get going and you open up after a while, you start to trust somebody because they, again, they speak your language. And that goes back to the gaming thing again. Once you realize that they're building a relationship with you and they care about, they're not just a paid consultant, but they're a friend or somebody who understands you in a way that nobody else does. Because again, trying to tell somebody out there in the real world what it is we got, you know, they think everything is a Hollywood movie. That's not how it is. Mm. Downrange, you mean? Right, right. Mm. What do you think was the most helpful for your recovery? Oh, definitely gaming. It was a constant interrupt. I never really had an opportunity to sit and think about everything that was going on. And My game of choice was a thing called World of Warcraft, which is a pretty big game, but it's an all-encompassing thing. And I fell in with some people who were pretty addicted to it as well. And the way I have it figured is if I'm going to self-medicate, at least it's not using drugs or alcohol or VA prescribed medication. Yeah. And I didn't like the way I felt on prescribed medication. Like I just didn't like that feeling of just, I felt cloudy all the time and I just Mm -hmm. wanted to sleep and wasn't a great time. So I was utilizing video games to kind of get through a lot of it because it was forcing me to do things in game. Like it would give me like, here's a list of tasks that you need to complete, or here's something that you need to do. And here's your mission. Go do this thing. And it would focus me in a way that I wasn't thinking about anything else. I was enjoying myself. I was having a good time. I was checking things off of a list and communicating with others. And it was good. 
That was my savior. And I always say, World of Warcraft, boy. I got back, I redeployed three weeks before the first game came out. And whew, that was a, was a really good timing on my part. <laughs> yeah. In between that, you also married and lost your marriage. I did. I was not a great husband. Turns out, you know, the joke is a lot of guys in the service, you know, you get a wife issued to you or you get a partner issued to you. And if the Marines wanted you to have a wife, they'd issue you one and all that nonsense. But yeah, the military life's really hard and it's not for everybody. And again, I got so kind of wrapped up. My wife was convinced like we split up because my PTSD issues. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because at the time, it didn't feel like PTSD. It was just, we were just getting on each other's nerves. And it was like, I can't be around this person that I care about, but I just can't be around you. And yeah, she was convinced it was PTSD-based. I was not. But looking back on how things went down, it's like, all right, yeah. I'm Military has a way of kind of stripping emotions out of you a lot of times. You know, you see a lot of things and it just kind of deadens you as I say, combat kind of turns the volume down on everything else. And, you know, it's coming out the other side of that. Things that people lose their minds about back home are just not that big of a deal here. Mm -hmm. And I was constantly numb. I'm numb to a lot of emotions. And that's just me talking personally. Like, I'm just very disconnected from reality. I'm good at talking to human beings, but connecting, staying connected, and not really. And I was like, okay, this person's going to be in my life. And if they leave, well, that's okay. They're going to do their thing. And I'm going to continue to drive on with the Ranger mission kind of thing. You still feel that way? Oh, yeah. I just moved out to LA a year ago. And a little tricky to meet friends out here. So anybody who even remotely is, hey, you seem all right. It's like, oh, we're, we're best friends now. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. as I recognize that I can't just sit at the office all day and work, I need to get out and be sociable. And it's not just about trying to work life balance, not great at it. So having other human beings to like go out and do things with, I'm trying to get better with that because it can't just be about video gaming. Balance is everything. So having real life friends and going out and doing things that don't involve video games is equally as important to me because it gets very easy to just get wrapped up in that world and you have to strike a balance. It's really cool that you recognize it and you're so open about it. If I was some sort of pundit, I would have my talking points and I would just tell you how great gaming is and gaming is this and gaming is that. And it's not all great. Like there are definitely, I mean, you've got kids over in China that are killing themselves. Like they're literally playing games to death. They will sit there at their computer until they have an aneurysm or a blood clot because they've sat and they haven't moved for 26 hours straight or something like that. And I mean, it happens. And so I'm not going to pretend that that doesn't happen. But again, everything needs to be in balance. And if I was a zealot, I wouldn't be as trustworthy a source if I wasn't telling it like it was. You'd just be like, okay, well, he only sees it from this perspective. He's not providing both sides of the story. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that there's, you know, just like everything, there's two sides to every story. Mm -hmm. What would you recommend to those who are struggling with difficult times? And let's divide the world into two categories of people, two mm -hmm. service members, two categories of service members. Those who are like you, like video games and play video games, and those are like me, who know nothing about video gaming. But maybe, maybe there is sure. something for, for somebody like me. We're in a world now where everybody has some sort of mental issue or mental problem. I'm not making light of it, but the pendulum has swung from where I was sitting in that parking lot in 2003 
all the way over to now everybody has a mental problem in some way, shape, or form. If you feel that you're struggling, you need to talk to somebody and you need to find somebody. And it's very easy to push it off and not make it a priority because a lot of folks still, if it's not a physical injury, and a lot of guys are dealing with this, that's like, okay, you didn't get a purple heart, so your injuries don't count. It's corny to say, but the invisible wounds of war are a very real thing. And folks who you need to talk to somebody. And I found talking really helps. Me finding gaming communities to kind of act as an intercedent, as like a way for me to talk about it, but not really talk about it, but kind of talk about it. But we're going to go do this thing in game together and we'll just talk and have a nice time. And that will get me through. It's almost like a way to feel connected with somebody without making yourself feel too vulnerable. Oh, absolutely. We're not talking about how I was deployed overseas. We're talking about we're going to hit this target in-game or I'm going to, we're playing Rocket League or something like that where it's car-based. It doesn't have to be a shooter game or Madden, you know, talking smack on somebody you're playing Madden with. We're talking, we're not talking about what's really going on behind the scenes, but we're talking and it's something and I might want to open up later. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we're coming from. It's just the way to be together. Yeah, it's the slow boil. It's the frog in the pot analogy where we're going to mm -hmm. bring it to a slow mm -hmm. boil and then, then we'll actually get to the root of it, if you want to or not. And for the category of people like myself who are not into gaming, talk to somebody. Yeah, just talk with somebody. Again, everybody's got their own flavor of problems nowadays, and it's important that you find somebody that's right for you. And it's not just about medicating. Like That's a very simple problem, but it brings its own cornucopia of problems. I know everybody makes jokes about the medications and then the 20 full seconds of here are all the problems that you're going to get because of this medication you're on. But yeah, it's just talking with somebody or finding a friend that you know you can confide in. And it doesn't have to be gaming. It, you know, go to movies, go eat, go get chow, just interact, ask them how they're doing. <laughs> That's a great way to start. Just how are you doing? I've had to learn a lot about human relations over the years. And it's said I forgot who the quote is from, but the idea is there's no sweeter sound in the English language than your own name. Mm -hmm. And people want to talk about themselves. They want to tell you that they are struggling. They want to get help. Nobody wants to feel like that. But you also don't want to be seen as a whiny, needy person. So there's a striking a balance between that as well. It's like, hey, I need help and I want to talk to you about it, but I can't just come out and hit you in the face of the frying pan with it because then you won't want to hang out with me. I'm just the whiny, needy guy now. Mm -hmm. But again, and that's why, you know, seek out a mental health professional, find somebody that you trust, find somebody in your plan or whatever, and, yeah. and don't feel afraid to recycle those people. Like find somebody that if you don't like them, don't keep going to them. Don't waste their time. Don't waste your time. Yeah. Find somebody that you feel comfortable with, feel that you can open up to. There is a term in psychology, what you describe is called gradual mutual disclosure. You kind of gradually get to know one another and right. gradually mutually disclose information about one another so you feel more connected and close over time. I also heard from what you just said, what you said was talk to somebody, but actually what you were describing is listen to others as well. And that helps. That's a good way to figure out how you want to go about mm -hmm. your own help. Yeah. Because if you listen to somebody, and again, I just, I generally will just sit back and let people go. <laughs> it's like, if they have a question for me, great. But there's something, again, there's a mental trick of just letting people talk. They will feel better about themselves and you, and they won't know why. Mm -hmm. It's because they've unloaded a lot of baggage. Yeah, but it's also kind of a balance. Right? Yeah, you can't just be a sounding board all the time. Right. It's like, hey, let me tell you about my day too. That's mm -hmm. an important side of it as well. Yeah. Last question that I have for you, sure. stack up. 
Tell me about the name. <laughs> yeah, it's twofold, ironically. The well-known version of the name StackUp is simply, StackUp is the uh, stacking up on a door. Anybody that's done any kind of CQC or close quarters combat where you have to breach and clear mount, I'm sure you have a military audience. But for those of you that don't know, mount is military operations in urban terrain. It involves clearing of buildings and close quarter combat. For civilians back home, anytime you see a SWAT team kind of stand next to a door getting ready to enter it kinetically, usually involves a battering ram and a flashbang grenade, a non-lethal projectile, some form. But yeah, but the idea was a bunch of people coming together for a greater cause, like to come together, we're stacking up to come together to do something. And that was the positive, happy version of that story. The real story behind Stack Up was because my business partner did not realize that I knew what he was doing. You recognized early I on. recognized that he was trying to... Sabotage you. Yes, take the, take the organization from me. And my, I want to say scouts, but I had people on the inside who said, oh, he doesn't think that you're going to bounce back from this. He doesn't think like you can fill out the paperwork and get everything done. He thinks that it'd take like a year to get the paperwork done. And he does not realize that you're doing this. And one of the big pieces behind breaching and clearing through a stack is the element of surprise. And throwing that flashbang into a door and surprising the hell out of everybody on the other side so you have the opportunity. Because you're walking, they call it a fatal funnel. You go through the door and it's very easy for people on the other side to target what's coming at you. But if they don't expect you and you hit them with a flashbang or you hit them with some sort of explosive device... You stun them, then you get everybody in the room, and we surprise the hell out of them. I'll tell you that. So <laughs> that was the that's the real story behind Stack Up. But the friendly, <laughs> the friendly, happy charity version of that was, oh no, it's coming together for a common good, and we're helping out veterans. And yeah, I love I love how honest you are with this. <laughs> I, I wasn't always, and I think because things have worked out so well, I was very, I was extremely bitter, and I had real dark thoughts and outside of the military service, putting time and energy into a business and something that was doing well and we were making progress and then have it all taken away by somebody I trusted. Like that put me in a real dark place. And that was another reason my marriage didn't survive was it was, it got me really, I was not a happy person to be around for a long time, but we all live happily ever after in a way. And they say the best revenge is living well. The charity's doing great and they're not. It's easy to talk about now because it's something we can joke about. Mm -hmm. You know, near-death experiences we can have a good laugh about. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's kind of funny now looking back. Awesome. All right. Well, this was Stephen Machuga. It was a pleasure talking to you. He's the executive officer of Stack Up. Where can people find you if they wanted to either be a volunteer for your organization or if they wanted to be a gamer and be a part of the organization in that way and be connected to the community? Sure, just head on over to stackup.org, all spelled out. We're on the internet, got a contact form, and just fire off a contact form at us, and we'll be happy to get back to you and figure out what we can do together. Whether you're looking to help or you need help, we'll help out where we can. Awesome. I love your mission. I just I love that idea that you bring people together, something that they already do and they already have been doing for many years, they've been playing, and then this just gives them a forum to connect and to talk about their feelings in the way that is comfortable to them. And then you created this kind of additional layer of protection for those who are really not doing well to catch them 
and potentially maybe save some folks from really dark places. It's a great summary line right there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for the interview. Thanks for coming out here. Thanks, Major. This is your host, Major Anya Fedotova. Thank you for listening to the Blue Grid podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed this interview. My goal is to air the narratives of courage, vulnerability, and crit to normalize the airmen's own challenges and help them internalize the message of hope and recovery. This discussion is not a formal medical advice and any techniques, treatment, diagnosis, or alternative actions discussed are not a recommended treatment or course of action for all listeners and are not a replacement for professional medical assistance. You are encouraged to seek medical psychological help for your unique issue. If you have feedback, please find me in the global. My email is anavfedotova.mil at mail.mil. It's anna.v.fedotova.mil at mail.mil.